It's really interesting as we go through a, a series in a book, you always kind of wonder what point is it going to land on your turn to preach. And so I've been watching it. And so um, it's really interesting. I'm preaching about most of us in the room talking donkeys. So I'm very excited about this particular text. I've been really diving into this, and um, we're going to have fun today with this text. Um, and so let me give you a little backstory. It's Numbers chapter 22, and we're going to track through most of this, so we've got a lot of work to do. I promise to get us out at least before 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, I'm just kidding, for those of you that might be trying to find your exit. Um, let me give you a little backstory here. Jesus, first of all, Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of everything. And so as we read the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, we find our Savior's stamp. Even in the Old Testament, we see Christ working. And it's amazing to see this happen. Israel is wandering through the wilderness. They're camped on the plains just outside of this area called Moab, the kingdom of Moab. Balak is the king there. And he is a king that is a pagan king. And he could see this small country kind of developing called the Israelites. And if you're looking from his vantage point, you're, you're thinking to yourself, these guys are dangerous. They're wiping everybody out. They're on their way to the promised land, and they're not, they're not going to let anybody get in their way. And so this, this king is getting worried about this. He's like, man, we've got to do something about this. They're wiping everybody out. They're preparing for war. And soon they're going to be right next to him. They're going to be in Balaam's king, Balaam's kingdom. And they're going to continue to move westward into the promised land. And he's worried. He's afraid. He's like, what am I going to do about this? So you don't want to mess with the Israelites. You don't want to mess with these folks because everybody they come in contact with, if, they're, if you're against them, they're going to wipe you out. And so, in fact, in verse 4, the elders of Moab said the horde, they actually call Israel, this horde will now lick up all that is around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So these guys are bad. They don't, you don't want to mess with them. So all the neighboring countries were a little fearful for this new country, this small country coming into town. And Balak sees this huge nomadic nation whose God is Yahweh. And he's heard about all the previous military victories. So he starts to come up with, the, with this plan. And he knew, that he, couldn't, he knew that he could not attack them militarily. He knew that he could not take his military and go up against them because he would get wiped out. He knew that. So he starts to come up with this other plan. And so the elders, they meet. And he, he's, what could we possibly do? And so instead of militarily, he thinks, I'm going to try to separate them from their God. So how can I possibly do that? So he sends out for um, the messengers to send out for a prophet, a spiritual guru by the name of Balaam, to curse the people of Israel. And so it's not a military move, it's more of a su supernatural move on his part. So who is this guy? Who is Balaam? We, we see Balak, we got the characters, we see Balak, he is the, the king of, of Moab, he, 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 we see Balaam, he is this spiritual guru, kind of a prophet type of guy. Who is, who is Balaam? He's a very interesting character. 
Um, he is a sorcerer, a prophet who has influence with the spirits and forces. But he's also considered a politician type of guy, kind of a swindler. You really don't really know how to, to take this guy. Um, he, he knows the, the spirit world very, very well. And so Balak's messengers bring some cash. And they try to explain the situation to this magician, this prophet named Balaam. And in verse 6, this is what they say. I know whomever you bless will be blessed and whoever you curse will be cursed. And so in other words, they're trying to flatter him a little bit. They're trying to say, hey man, you're awesome. You, whoever you bless, they're blessed. And whoever you curse, they're cursed. And whatever you say, it happens. And so we need you to come and curse this nation for us. We need you to separate them from their God because, man, they're wiping everybody out. So we need your help. And, of course, they, they have some cash with them. They throw in some cash. And so he's, he's intrigued. So this is what he says. This is very interesting. So Balaam says to the messengers, stay the night. And he inquires of the Israel's God, Yahweh. This is very, very interesting that he inquires of Israel's God. Now, he is not an Israelite. He's not Jewish. But he knows of Yahweh's God, Israel's God. Now, here's the deal about Moab. Moab, we know, was Lot's son. Moab was the ancestrous children of Lot and Abraham's cousin. Later, King David's great-grandmother was from Moab. And so here's the deal. You have Balaam has this relationship he has this, this kind of geographical, distant relationship connection with Balaam, the prophet, the magician. And so he, he, he's heard about Yahweh. He's learned somewhere down the way about this Yahweh. And so he's, in, he's, in, he's intrigued by Yahweh. So as a matter of fact, verse 9 says, And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Who are these men with you? Now, the Lord asks questions like this oftentimes in, in, in the Old Testament, even the New Testament. Um, the Lord asks the question that he already knows. He is God. He is Lord. So he asks this question that he already knows, just like God's interaction with Adam in the garden after Adam's sin. And with Cain when he asked the location of, of Cain's brother. Clearly, God knows who these men are and why they seek him. It is God who came to Balaam. And his question is not to gain knowledge, but to correct him, to put him on the right path. And so Balaam answers the question, and God instructs Balaam to tell the men that Balaam will not go with them and must not put a curse on Israel because they are blessed. Now, this is really interesting. They go back, kind of back and forth here a couple of times. And the Lord says, no, don't go with them. You can't curse who I am blessed. So the next day, Balaam, he wakes up and he tells them. But he leaves some things out. He leaves out that the Lord had actually, what the Lord had actually said, you cannot curse who I am blessed. And so he leaves little parts out. If you, you'll notice it through the, as we read the scripture, he'll, he'll omit some things, and he does this on purpose. He's very clever on how he communicates with, with folks. So he leaves out the details of his encounter with God, but rather tells his these guys, these guys from, from Balak, that the Lord gave him instructions not to go with them. Upon returning Balak to Balak, the men tell, tell Balaam that he just refused to come. So these guys, they come and they camp out. They spend the night. Balaam goes 
to sleep at night. And in Jewish customs, you can read through, through Jewish customs. And a lot of times prophets will actually inquire of the Lord at night. And sometimes it will come to, him, to them in a dream. And we're assuming that that's what happened here. And so he inquires of the Lord. The Lord says, no, gives him some instructions. Don't go with him because you can't curse who I've blessed. He wakes up in the morning and he just says, hey, guys, I can't go. Sometimes Luke has friends come over. They knock on the door. And this is what Luke will say. I can't. I can't. My dad won't let me. What he don't say is, I've got homework. I've got chores to do. That's what's kind of happening here. He's not telling the whole story. And there's a reason why he's not doing that. So they report. They report back to Balak. And I think it's really interesting too that nowhere in these chapters did the elders of Moab or Midian or Balak refer to God. You never see that. You never see them referring to Yahweh. You never see them referring to God. It is Balaam who used the name of God regularly. So they report to Balak, the king of Moab. And this is what he thinks. He thinks this is, a, this is a negotiation maneuver here. So this is the, he's just using this as a negotiation tactic. And he, we're going to up the ante a little bit. We're going to send some more cash. We're going to send the princes now, not just leaders. We're going to send the princes and the really important leaders. And they, this, they basically go back and they beg. They go back a second time and they make these big promises. They throw in some hard cash. They say, man, you need to come with us. And this is where we pick up on the story. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 15. Verse 15 says, Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable with these than these. And they came with Balaam and they said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. And in verse 18 says, But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now here's the the interesting thing here again. Balaam is, is not an Israelite. But did you see the last thing he said there? I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. This is quite a statement. He says, I'm not going to do what the Lord says not to. So his confidence is anchored in the word of the Lord. There, there, so, but he's not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. He knows enough about Yahweh to know that our confidence is not in our ability. Our confidence is, in our, is not in our circumstances. Our confidence should be anchored in the word of the Lord. And that goes for all of us, not just Balaam. His word does not return void. And that's what we need to understand here. We're, we're looking at a, basically a, a prophet that is virtually a pagan. He's a sorcerer. But he's standing on the promises of the Lord. He's standing on the promises of the word. So that is why it's so important that we develop habits. And I'm going through a series with our students called Habits. And we're talking about God's word. And we're, we're really hammering that in and saying, no, you've got to stand on the promises of God's word. 
And some of them have come to me and asked me, man, what, what are some things that the scripture says about this, about depression, about stress, about suicide? What are some scriptures that we need that we can go to battle with? And ladies and gentlemen, that's the mindset that we need to have about God's word. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. And we need to take God's word and we need to apply it and use it in our life. Verse 19. So, she, so, so you too, please stay here tonight that I may know more the Lord will say to me. So there again, he's telling them to stay the night. And by the way, this is a, this is a huge undertaking too. When they would travel, they would travel in these huge entourages. It was very expensive to do this. And so they, they really, they put on the dog and pony show for this guy. Okay, they probably had some meal there. They, they probably had a lot of food there. They probably had a lot of things going on there. So they, they threw a big party for him. They really want him to come. And they really want him for one reason, and that is to go and curse Israel. And so the question here is, it's really interesting. Why would Balaam think the Lord might change his mind? After he's already told him No. Why would Balaam think the Lord would change his mind? Or perhaps we should ask, why would Balaam hope the Lord might change his mind? The answer to the question is rather obvious. King Balak has upped the ante. He's thrown more cash in to the point Balaam can't resist. So it's more of a fleshly thing that he's now encountering. He's, he's wanting to go. He's desiring to go. And so he knows that he needs to inquire And so verse 20, it says, And God said to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise. Go with them. But here's the catch. It's always a catch. But only do what I tell you. Only do what I tell you. So God told Balaam in the first encounter that he is not to go to the men. However, in this encounter, Balaam is permitted to go with them. With one catch, he's instructed to say or to do only what Yahweh tells him to do. It's a, very, it's a very curious command. So let me put this into context. According to Jewish tradition, and this is very significant, Balaam's desire to go indicated his eagerness to curse Israel and to make some cash. That was, his, that was his motive. That was why he wanted to go, was to basically move up this ladder. He knew that, man, this is a big deal. This, this kingdom is, is, is really a big deal. And this king is, is inquiring me to curse an entire nation. Man, if I, can, if I can pull this one off and make a lot of cash, then my popularity would go up. I can move up this ladder. And so... That is the story behind the story. That's the Jewish understanding of what's going on here. But what's really interesting is Balaam's own desire for riches and Balak's desire for power and protection to display God's sovereignty over the kings and nation. That's what the Lord is going to do here. So it's not that he is going with them, it's his attitude, it's his motivation, it's, it's, his, it's his greed that he goes. 
And the Lord knows the hearts and the motives of all of us in this room. Every single one of us, he knows the motives in our hearts. He knows that if we are desiring greed, he knows that. He knows that if we have lust in our hearts, he knows that. He knows our motives and our desires. If we're climbing up this, this corporate ladder, guess what? He knows that our mind is maybe set toward that goal. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be when you disobey God's commands. And so, verse 21. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. And this is a very interesting verse here, too, because guess what? It's like he's in a hurry. He doesn't do what he did before. And he doesn't do like he did in verse 13. He rose in the morning, and the only difference is that he didn't tell, he didn't tell them what the Lord had said. This time, he's rising up in the morning, man, and he's getting out of there. He's like, I'm out. The Lord said, go, let's go. I'm out. He didn't, he didn't tell them or anything. He got on his donkey, and he's like, man, let's just go. It's almost like these guys are like, hey, what's he doing? He saddled his donkey, and he's, he's taking off. So guess what? They're assuming everything must be okay. He's going to go curse Israel for us, and we're going to throw some cash at him, and we're going to be safe. That's the assumption here is that, hey, man, this guy, he's, he's getting ready to go. Let's go. Instead, Balaam went with him quickly, again, without reason. Verse 22 says, but God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding the donkey and his two servants were with him. Now here's the big question here. Why was God angry? He told him he could go. Why was he angry? Well, I think we've answered that question already. He knows the motives of our heart. He told, he told Balaam, the only, the only way you can go is you have to do what I tell you to do. You have to obey my commands. Now, it's possible that in Balaam's mind, you know what? I don't have to do that, really. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to curse these people. He said I could go. I'm not sure about what he's going to tell me to do or anything. He may not say anything else. I'm just going to go. Again, he knows our motives. He knows our attitude. And it's because of that, the Lord changes some direction here. So the Lord was angry not because he had gone with Balak's men because the Lord had told him, God knows our hearts. Balaam's rebellious heart to quickly run to Moab and curse Israel, completely ignoring God's command. And here's the thing. We have so much in common with Balaam. This is a story about us. We have so much in common with Balaam. Here's the question. Do we pursue our fleshly desires to pursue wealth, greed, popularity, or do we pursue the clear commands of God? So what really drives you? What, what really drives you? We can be great on Sunday morning. We can come in here, get cleaned up. But from Monday to Saturday, what drives you? How do you act Monday to Saturday, from, from Monday to Saturday? What do you do? Are you obeying God's commands throughout the week? Or are you just coming in here kind of getting a feel good on and going out? Because that's exactly the attitude here. 
that Balaam has. He's like, you know, I'm going to be okay. He's going to have some empty words. But here's the thing. Just as Balaam's empty words, our words and actions often don't match. They often don't match. You ever seen those old kung fu movies? And you're watching them and they're, I'm going to kill you. And they don't match. Oftentimes that's our life. What we say sometimes don't necessarily match what we do. Our actions. And so that's what was going on with this guy. His drive was success. His drive was the money. But the Lord has a way of getting our attention, doesn't he? And this is the fun part. Verse 23. And the donkey. I'm glad I'm not using the King James Version in this right here. And by the way, I do study the King James Version. I've got a skull filled and I read it often, so I'm not slamming that version. For the sake of our children, we'll go with this one. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. I love this. And the donkey turned aside out of the road, went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey. I don't know what it is about these Old Testament guys and their staffs, but it seems like they all have one and they're hitting something. Moses hit the rock. This guy's banging on his, he's hitting his donkey. And so the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on either side. In verse 25, it says, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in the narrow place where there were no way to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Now this is the first ever recorded case of road rage in the Old Testament. Now, we've all been ticked off before. And if we could hit our car, we would. We probably, some of you have. You probably, you're hitting the middle section right there, that horn. Get out of my way. I don't do animals well. And I can relate to this. I just don't. I don't do animals well. Um, I've been chased by a bull. Had a red shirt on. It was stupid. I got rammed by a goat. I've been attacked and bit by a cat named Fluffy. I've been chased by an ostrich. And most recently, this Friday, I was punked by a thug camel in Montgomery. We went to this, today is my my oldest son's birthday. Happy birthday, buddy. You taking notes. He's eight years old and we have birthday weekends. And uh, so Friday we went to Montgomery, this thing. You guys may please do this. Um, Maybe you have the same experience I had. Where you drive through these little areas and they have the animals there. You roll your windows down and they they don't give you, you have to buy this feed. It's $4 a bucket. Okay. $4 plus tax. And so we bought two of them. And so you have this bucket of feed and the the animals would come up. 
They've got camels. They've got um, all kind of different things there. Um, I, camels stuck in my head because of the story. Um, so out the gate, we, we pull up, and there's this huge camel. This camel is so big, he's looking into, through our moonroof, Honda Pilot, four-wheel drive, okay? He's, he's that big. He's huge. And so I have my feed. Lane is in my, my lap. And I, this camel literally has to almost stoop down to get in and get, and he, he kind of looks at me like, hey, what's up? And he starts to eat. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. There's slobber everywhere. It's nasty. So I'm like, oh. And so I kind of pushed it out a little bit. And, I, and, I, and the, the, before we got the feed, the lady told us, hey, you better watch it. They'll take your, bu- they'll take your bucket from you. And I'm like, ain't no, ain't no animal going to take my bucket. Uh-uh. No animal's going to take my bucket. So I'm holding on to this thing. Well, all of a sudden, this camel grabs the bucket with his teeth, and he yanks. I'm like, uh-uh. I pull back. Well, then all of a sudden, he goes, uh-uh. And he yanks hard to the point to where he yanks so hard, tears the bucket out of my hand. He takes it, and he's literally doing this right here with the bucket. And he throws it down with all the other buckets he's taken from everybody. And he looks at me like, what do you think about that? And of course, Lane, my youngest son, goes, Dad, punch him in the face. And I'm thinking, I need to get out of the car to get my bucket. And I can't. You may ask the question, why did I tell you that story? Because sometimes some things are out of our control. And this was a situation here. Balaam did not know what was going on here with his donkey. He thought he had lost his mind or something. So he does what everybody else would do. He starts to beat it. But what he doesn't know is what happened next. Verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. This is, this is great. And she said to Balaam, what have you done? What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now, I could imagine if you've ever seen the movie Shrek, the voice of the donkey, Okay coming out of this donkey's mouth. So verse 29 says, and this is what's really crazy about this. It's almost as if Balaam, he's not surprised. And he answers this this donkey. And so Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. That's sometimes that's our reaction to things that get in our way. The things that we can't necessarily control. Again, there's nothing in this text that indicates that Balaam's shock over a talking donkey. Now, it could be his pride and his anger that's getting in his way of his reasoning. And he responds by saying, man, if I had a sword, I'm going to kill you. In verse 30, this conversation continues. Verse 30, and the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam kind of goes, no. It's like he's, he's pouting now. It's like he's, his pride has gotten the best of him. Here's the deal. Can I suggest that many of us get as ticked off as Balaam because we can't seem to get where we're wanting to go? In life, dealing with family, dealing with relationships, we get so ticked off because our motives, maybe our motives are not right. Our attitude is all wrong. 
We have maybe some secret sin, a habit that is harmful to us. And all the while, it is God who is getting in the way because he wants to change our motives. He wants to change our attitude and that sinful habit to redirect our path. Could it be that your frustration is because God's getting in the way? And we're so spiritually blind, we don't see it. And it may take a donkey to get your attention. By the way, one of the most ignorant animals in the world. The amazing theme of this story is not just the talking donkey. The theme of this story is that God who gets in the way because he loves us so much to stop us. He inconveniences us. He frustrates us to the point where we have to make choices to change our direction, to repent, or to keep going down the same destructive path, which is what a lot of us do. We keep going down the same destructive path, and, and sometimes God throws things in our way, and we ignore it until we get to the end of ourselves. Or we wonder, well, Lord, what's going on? And he uses drastic measures. So it's not about where we're going. Moving up the financial ladder, our popularity, our position. It is about who we are becoming as we go. It's about who we're becoming as we go. Verse 31. Then the Lord opens the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down, and he fell on his face. This is the aha moment right here. This is the moment where we've all, hopefully we've been there at this moment where it's like, man, the Lord has been trying to get my attention. And I've been trying to force this thing. I've been trying to my very best to, to force my agenda, my motive. I want this. And all of a sudden, the Lord just gets in the way, and you fall on your face. This is an act of repentance. This is an act of surrender. Verse 20, 32. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before these three times. If she had not turned aside, this is really interesting. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. We don't really see what's going on sometimes in the spiritual realm, do we? So it's very important that we are connected to the Lord. This is where we need to read our word more. Dive into the Lord's word more. Let the Holy Spirit, man, just, just well up inside of us. This is where we develop discernment. This is where we develop a life full of the Lord. Where we can avoid these circumstances. Verse 35. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men. Here's the other command. Same command that we've been hearing. But speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. How many of you think that Balaam, after his encounter with the angel of the Lord, that Balaam went back to Balak's men with the same motive or attitude? Mm -mm. 
No way. Not after he had, had, had a conversation with a talking donkey. Okay. Not after, not after his donkey just decided to start talking and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord came, that's going to change your direction. And for some of us, that's what we need. I know that is in my life personally. Sometimes the Lord has to do drastic things in my life to get my attention. I'm that guy, okay? If you're hanging with me, I'm that guy. You're not going to believe what happened to Brad. Camel stole his food. Now, I don't know if that's any spiritual implication there. Maybe it is. But I know one thing. I've had accidents before. I thought, Lord, what's going on here? Ran into the back of a truck one time. Immediately, I knew. That still fought small voice. Tore my Honda up, by the way. That's still small voice. Brad, you're not paying attention. You're not focusing on me. You're looking at the other accident, which is what I was doing. And so I go back and I go, Lord, what, what is it? Where in my life do I need to repent? Where in my life do I need to, to draw close to you? When Balaam went, it wasn't about the talking donkey. It was about the change that took place in his heart. It was about what God was doing inside of Balaam. So the Lord often redirects our path, not because of sin, by the way. I want to be very clear here. He doesn't always redirect our path because we have sin in our heart. Sometimes he redirects our path, and this is what the beautiful thing about being a believer is. Sometimes he redirects our path for somebody else. Sometimes he changes our direction as believers to take the word to somebody that needs it. When we were doing faith, F-A-I-T-H, those of you that have been here for, for some time, you know, it's kind of an evangelism tool that we all learned. And we would go into teams and would go out into the community and we would share the gospel. Um, sometimes we did it on Monday nights. I think we changed a couple times. And this was a November night. I'll never forget it. I had my team with me. Um, I had graduated to leader, which was sometimes I think, man, that's just crazy. People don't know what they're doing here. Um, so I, I, was, I graduated as leader, and, and I was driving down 174 going towards Springville. It starts raining. It's cold. We can't find this address. To save our life, we cannot find the address. And I'm like, where is this place at? Somebody's playing a joke on me. Somebody gave me the wrong address. He goes, watch this. And so we're going back and forth and everything. The, the, these guys have worked all day. I've worked all day long. We're tired. It starts to rain. And so I'm like, we've done turnaround twice. I'm going back towards Springville, and I think, you know what? We're just going to go, go, go back to the church. I'm done here. A car gets behind me, probably a church folk, is riding my bumper and starts honking the horn. I'm like, I ain't got nowhere to turn off here. So I turned off real quick to a little clearing there off 174. And I'm frustrated. And I turn back to look to see if there's traffic. And I noticed a mailbox was knocked off into a ditch. Oh, that's weird. I'm like, no, surely not. I get out. Brush this mailbox off that had recently been knocked off into the ditch. And guess what? It's the address where we're supposed to be. Had someone not almost run me off the road, 
I would have never seen that. And so I get back in the car and I start pulling forward. You'd never know, by the way, that this was a place or anything. It's just kind of this, this weird clearing. And we go through this thicket and there's this house there. There's dogs everywhere. Okay. The guy behind me, he's six foot five, scared of dogs. He's sitting in my back, in my back seat. He's not, he's not, you don't want to get out. I'm like, my goodness, come on now. And so I basically coerce him out and everything. And so we walk up on the front porch, knock on the door. And the, the guy that we're supposed to see, he's not there. This lady answers the door and he, she, he's moved. Sorry, he's moved. He's in, he's in college right now. And the Holy Spirit just got a hold of me right then. That's the only way I can explain this because this is out of my character. I said, ma'am, there's a reason why we're here right now. And can I ask you a question? In your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for someone to go to heaven? And she said, I have no idea. I said, ma'am, can I tell you what the Bible says about that? And I began to share with her, F-A-I-T-H. Now, I probably got it all wrong. I'm dyslexic. Um, and I, that's what I was thinking in my mind. You know, I'm, I'm probably not. And I, I'm thinking I, I've messed up on this already. And I asked her that last question. Ma'am, tonight, would you like to confess Christ as your Savior? Long crocodile tears streaming down her face. And she said, yes. And I wanted to go, are you sure? Because I know I've probably messed this whole thing up. Listen to me. Sometimes the Lord directs our path. We just have to listen to him. We have to get in our word and go, Lord, where is it that you want me to go today? Who is it that you want me to see today? So sometimes, not, sometimes you don't just direct our, direct, redirect our path because of sin in our life. Oftentimes he redirects our path because he wants us vessels, those that have the word in us, those that have the bread of life to share with someone else, to go and share it with other people. We see this. Balak gets a double whammy here. He literally, he has sin in his life and, and he confesses that and he says, I have sinned. And I want to end on this thought. God is far less concerned with where we are going. He's more interested in who we're becoming as we go. It's not about getting to where God wants us to go. It's about becoming the person he wants us to be when we get there. The Lord has us an assumption as believers in Christ that we're moving. We're tracking. We're going. And for some of us, he has to get our attention to pull us back on path. We try our very best to make sure that we're going to do and have the right motive, to keep our right attitude in check, to keep it for his glory, not for the cursing of Israel to get some cash for a king. But it's really about not going beyond his word. It's really about being in his word. And obeying his command, nothing more, nothing, nothing less. That is the life of a believer. And this morning, you may be here and you're like, Brad, I, I came in here this morning and I, I, I'm not too sure. 
I'm not too sure if I have confessed Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I don't know if he's really working in my life. In a moment, hopefully we're going to give you an opportunity to make that right. There's no question in my mind you're here for a reason. When you got up this morning, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. For some of you, maybe you're not supposed to be here. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't in your intention to get up and go to church this morning. Maybe you're supposed to be at the lake. It is that week. But you decided to come this morning. And hopefully the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart to direct your life. When we put ourselves in the kind of place and we put ourselves in a place where God can do wonders, he does just that. He does wonders. We just have to jump. We have to put ourselves out there and go, okay, Lord, you're redirecting me. I confess. You want me to talk to this person, I'm going to talk to them. If we lived a life like that, the world would be a better place, I'm sure of it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.